went to the eye doctor this week, and uh, apparently I've been introduced to the world of bifocals. To which my mother just laughed at me. She said, well, call me back when you get to the trifocal stage. So <clears throat> apparently something has happened. I'm no longer a child. <laughs> but I hope everybody's had a good week. It is good to see everybody here this morning. And um, please be pr- praying for uh, the Robinsons and the Crumps as they're, they're traveling. Um, I think they've got the state choir function going on in Dallas. That's where they're at this weekend. I also wanted to take an opportunity this morning. Where did Carl go? Well, the bum. (laughs) You know, but I wanted to take an opportunity this morning to, uh, I want to say thank you to the guys, everybody that works in the background. Uh, I want to say thank you to the people that that make this church go. Uh, They never stick themselves in the limelight. They never seek uh, recognition. Um, but but they're there. Uh, they're the guys that are cutting the grass and, and setting up the food and and doing all the all the things that we take for granted. I, w- I wanted to say thank you to you guys this morning um, because we I, I appreciate you uh, and I appreciate what you do and I appreciate what you give to this church. Um, so thank you. Uh, I know that's kind of an odd thing to say on Father's Day, but thank you. I appreciate it. So um, at any rate. There's a lot of things that have been uh, laying on my heart for, for really for months now. And there's a phrase, there's a passage out of Scripture that, that keeps haunting me. Uh, it keeps coming back to me again and, and again. And, and that passage is out of Isaiah. And, and basically what it says, there's a whole chapter. It's called the woes. <laughs> uh, but in that chapter, it says, woe, woe to those who embrace wrong is right. Woe to those who embrace wrong is right. Um, I am so, this world is getting so upside down. Um, our children are so confused. And they, they're growing up and they don't know what is right. And they don't know what is wrong. You know, they, they hear things from us at the church, they hear things from us as parents, and then they hear things from the schools, and then they hear things from, from, from the media and from the world, and, and, and it's a very confusing place, it's a very confusing time, and we no longer know what is right and what is wrong, and, and we have truly, uh, we're moving into a time period where, where that, that verse, that passage, it haunts me. Woe to those who embrace wrong is right. Because I see that. I see our leaders embracing wrong is right. And it, it breaks my heart to say that I see the leaders within our church, within our denomination, that are embracing wrong is right. And that breaks my heart. And, and it's, a, it's a confusing matter um, because we... We as a church, we are called to love. We are called to stay true to Scripture. And I, for one, I, for one, don't really particularly care about denominational tags. I never have. But I do care about embracing Scripture. 
And I do care about embracing Scripture as truth. Because what I do know is that we have to have a foundation. We have to have a truth that does not change. A truth that is always there. A truth that we can always go back to and say, this is the truth. Because when we don't have something that we can go back to, something that we can touch, something that we can embrace as the truth, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. Back um, in, some of you guys here today will remember this. Um, and in the, in the beginning stages of it, I don't remember because I wasn't there. <laughs> but, but there are those here today that do remember. But in the beginning stages, it started out as there became an argument over what was, what was truth and what was not truth. There was an argument about how, how we interpret Scripture. And what I've come to discover is that was probably where we first went wrong. When we decided, when there were leaders, theological leaders that decided that we could no longer interpret Scripture as being truth and literal, I believe that's where things went wrong. Because it opened the door. Once you remove, <laughs> once you remove the Word of God as truth, once you, once you remove that, then you can fill in the blanks any way that you want to. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Once, once I remove a truth and say, eh, those are just kind of like pirate rules or guidelines. Once you remove that, then that begins to open up the door for, for anything. There be, began a struggle, not just within this denomination, but, but within all the denominations, within the church as a whole, there began a, a real struggle back in the 60s. And it started catching speed in the 70s. And it finally, uh, it was even more so in the 80s, and finally in the 90s we, we began having splits even amongst ourselves. It was a schism. And, you know, um, those of you that are my age, we, you know, we grew up right in the middle of it. And, and now we're, you know, now our children are going to deal with the repercussions of the decisions and the things that were done. And, and that's scary. We have to get back to foundational roots. We have to get back to the basics. Because the truth has always been there and it's never changed. And we have to get back to it. And we are called as a people to stand on that truth. We are called to embrace that truth. Even in the face of being called bigots. Even in the face 
of saying that, that we are haters. We have to stand on the truth. We, whether you want to be or not, as a child of God, you are a soldier. And when things get tough and they get hard, you have to act like a soldier. And that means you have to grunt it. You have to dig in. And you have to fight and stand on the truth even when everybody else abandons it. I'm amazed when uh, people come in and they apply to, to the department. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys know that now I'm, I'm working with recru recruiting. It's actually kind of a cool job because, um, you know, I get to work with individuals that are wanting to work for the department. And I'm, I'm always amazed by these individuals that come in that, uh, you know, everybody has their own view. Of, of what it is that we do. And um, unlike a military recruiter <laughs> um, who is simply looking to fill slots, you know, I take very serious anybody want coming to work for this department. And I want people that, that come to work for this department, I want them to know and I want them to understand what it is that we do and why it is that we do it. You know, um, this is, you know, there's a reality check when people come to work to, to apply for us and come to work for us because everybody has this, you know, TV movie version of what they think, you know, that, that law enforcement is and what they think that we do. And and the truth is that that's all made up, people. The TV and, and all those crime shows and all those movies and stuff, that's, that's, that's fake. The reality is we work long hours we get really, really bored. We get really, really excited. We have to give horrible, horrible news. We have to protect people from their own stupidity. Even when they don't realize, even when they realize, they think that we're just being mean to them. They don't understand that we're trying to keep them alive. We work stupid long hours in stupid, horrible conditions. You know, it is no fun hanging out in a city that has been ransacked by a hurricane, that's had no power for a month. It's hot. It stinks. I have to go into buildings looking for people that nobody's heard from, not knowing what it is that I'm going to stumble upon. And the smells from the food that is rotting and not being able to differentiate, is that, a, is that food that I'm smelling or is that something else that I'm smelling? This is not a fun job. It is not a job that you're just going to apply to. This ain't Walmart, for goodness sake. You ain't running a cash register. You're, you're working under some stupid conditions. And it takes people 
with real heart and an attitude of not ever giving up or quitting despite what the circumstances are to be able to do this job. And folks, I'm here to tell you that the Christian walk is no different. I think that's one of the reasons why I do do stuff with the highway patrol. I think it's one of the reasons why I was in the military. Because I always had that attitude in the military. I don't care what happens. I don't care, you know, if, if, if somebody's coming against me, they better hope. They better make darn sure that I don't rise up again. Because I don't care if I have to crawl across the floor with my pinky. I'm coming after you. That is just instilled in my spirit. But that is also how I look at Christianity. That's how I look at my relationship with God. Because trust me, and I think everybody in here can say the same thing. We are not a perfect people. I destroy more, I, I ruin more than I can ever produce for God. I'm human. But despite that, God gave His only Son, His only begotten Son, to die for my sins so that I might live. God gave His only begotten Son so that... You might live. There's no way to repay that. There is nothing in the world that I could ever do to repay the debt that God paid for me. All I can do is serve. And do the best I can. That's all you can do. But you have to be able to do it with a heart and with an attitude that no matter what happens, even if you've got a pinky crawl your way across the room, you're going to stay true to the Word of God. And there is biblical precedent for this. If you'll turn with me, and it'll, it'll, well, it's almost going to pop up. Turn to Psalms, chapter 78, and I'll get there too. I cheated. I got a bookmark. It's even highlighted. It's still, I still can't read it. Next week, I'll be in bifocals, but this week, you'll just have to bear along with me. If you'll look at uh, Psalm uh, 78, verse 1. It says, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to my word, to the words of my mouth. In other words, not only is he saying, listen to my instruction, but he's saying, lean in. Incline your ears. In other words, take your little hand, wrap it around your ear, and listen real close to what I'm about to say to you. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. 
which we have heard and known. And our, our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generations to come might know even the children yet to be born. That they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Now what the author of Psalms is telling us is this. We have a mandate as fathers. We have a mandate as fathers to teach our children the foundations of God's relationship to us. It is our responsibility. Our resp- not somebody else's responsibility. Not teachers, not the government, not the media, not the stinking history channel. Don't ever get your theology from the History Channel, people. Man, that irritates me. We are to pass on from generation to generation what has been passed on to us. The truth of God. His word, His works, His praises. We are to pass that To our children. Somewhere along the line. Somewhere along the line. We decided that it was in our best interest. To give our children over to the state. And to the the government. To teach our children what it is that they should know. People I'm telling you right now. That is a bald faced lie. And an absolute disaster waiting to happen. Only you can pass on what God has done in your life to your children. Only you can pass on the truth of God in your life, in your example, in your words, in your actions, to your children. They are going to be the truth. What truth they learn, they are going to learn from you. It is your responsibility. Because if you don't pass it on to them, they won't get it. They won't. They will grow up not knowing what to do. And I'm telling you right now, they will grow up and they will be nothing more than animals. They act like animals. They live like animals. I don't know how many of you caught this. A few weeks ago, there was a house fire in North Amarillo. Inside that house was a group of children. 
that had been left there on their own. Children that are age 12 and younger. No adults, no parents, no mom, no dad. The house burnt to the ground. Two of those children died. That is our world. That should have never happened. I know most of us, all of us, have been touched by divorce. All of us have, in some way or another, a lot of us have probably grown up in a household where father did not have just a whole lot of input. And the only input he did have was usually yelling and screaming. Neither one of my fathers are alive today. It was kind of an odd coincidence. I, in fact, I didn't know it. My real father I had not seen since I was three years old. I hadn't seen him. I talked to him once when I was 21. And the conversation that I had and the letters that I received shortly after that made me realize that I was better off not knowing him. Because he was nothing more than a drunk and a womanizer and a beater, an abuser. And, I, and, and up to that point of having a conversation with him, I had always been mad at God because my relationship with my stepfather was not any better. I was told, I was told my entire life growing up how stupid I was, that I was never going to amount to anything, that I was nothing but worthless. And those words haunt you. They stay right here. And as you grow into an adult, every day you face the voices in your head. My stepfather passed away in the fall, last September. I did not know it, but my real father, I, I found out, what was it, three months, three or four months, one month, just one month, um, that my real father had passed away a month before my stepfather passed away. And I never knew it. I got called from, I got called from the county morgue in Florida. Why he was in Florida, I had no idea. They called me because I was the only one that they could track down. Only relative. Fathers. I know we're not perfect. But there are some things that you need to do. And some things I want to challenge you to do. I don't care how bad your marriage gets. I don't care how much you fight. I don't care how tough it gets. I want you to cling to your marriage.
it's not going to be a perfect marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage except between God and the church. That's because he's God. But I want you to cling. I don't care how much you have to suck it up and grovel. I don't care how much, even if you think you're right, I don't care. You need to cling to your marriage. You need to do everything that you can do to make sure that somehow that marriage survives. And as a father, I want to challenge you. Despite your imperfections, I want to challenge you to be there for your children. Be the father of the family that you're called to be. Be there for your children. Discipline your children. Love your children. Answer their questions. Communicate, talk to your children. Because if you don't do it, the world will. God designed the family to be a direct representation. It's an example. It's an illustration for our relationship with Him. And if our family is jacked up and messed up and broken then it's going to have a direct impact on our relationship with God. Because it is within the family that we learn how to have a relationship with God. That's why the psalmist was saying, pass these things down from generation to generation. Don't throw a book at them. Talk to them yourselves. Be a part. And don't worry about not having the answers. Because we don't have the answers and we won't have the answers. But what we have is something better than that. We have a relationship with God. Strengthen your relationship with God. Seek God out. Seek him out. Early in the mornings, late at night, I don't care. But seek him out. Talk to him. Ask him questions. Ask him to reveal things to you. Ask him to reveal the truth to you. And he will. It says it over and over again in scripture that he will. You may not like the answer. I can't help that. But he's always going to give you the truth. And he's not going to abandon you. And you don't have to know how to be the perfect father. You just have to know who the perfect father is. We spent all last week telling young children to trust on God. No matter what. No matter where. No matter when. No matter how. We spent all week telling them to trust in God. Now, 
as I close this morning, I want to ask you the question. Do you trust in God? Do you trust in God enough to abandon everything that you think you know and seek Him out? Do you trust in God enough to be dependent upon God? Can you truly trust Him no matter what? No matter where? No matter how? Because I promise you, the only way you're going to make it through this world is by trusting. Do the right thing. Be there for your family. And mothers, I don't want to. I don't want to let you out. I know there are circumstances that you've been thrust upon you, and that situation just isn't there. You may not have a perfect husband. But I'm telling you, you have a perfect father. It's another scripture that says that God is the God of widows and orphans. And I know and I understand that some of, some of you are widows, not by death, but by divorce. And I want you to know, I want you to understand God is God and he is there for you. He will be there where your husband was not. And for those of us that have grown up in households without a father, God is the God of orphans. In the same manner, just because your father wasn't perfect doesn't mean that you don't have a perfect father. God was there. God is there. God will be. But you have to surrender to him. You have to submit to him. You have to trust in him. That's the only way to know. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it's uncompromised. And thank you for your love for us. Father, I pray for each one in here. I pray for our fathers. I pray for our mothers and our wives. I pray for our children. And Father, I would ask today that you would lead each of us into a deep, meaningful relationship that's built upon the dependency of you. Forgive us when we fail you. Forgive us when we miss the mark.
ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a good Sunday.